glad you're here today. Um, where is everybody? You know, I, I guess you guys are, we're, we're more party people than I thought we were. I, I didn't know. <laughs> it's okay. I mean, that's not bad. Um, I, you know, I don't normally stay up and watch the New Year. Debbie does. Uh, I got about 10 texts from preachers, friends of mine, that I thought, what are you guys texting at midnight for? <laughs> they all, I guess all of them are preaching today, but anyway. Um, I, I don't, I'm great if you text me at night, and if there's something wrong, text me. But if you text me at midnight, I, I pray it's a crisis of some sort. And um, But not to wish me Happy New Year, but that was nice thought anyway, I guess. Uh, Happy New Year to all of you. Good to see you. And we uh, are continuing our, this is our sixth message in the book of John. Uh, we're going to look today, we observe the Lord's Supper. I finished a little bit early last week. We had a full house, but I won't finish early today, so we'll, we'll get there today. Uh, I want to share with you the words of the prologue. I'm not going to recount last week's sermon. I only did one verse last week. I'm going to do the other three. I've got something else I want to say about verse 14, and we'll do that. Um, let me let me talk to you just a little bit about New Year's, and um, I don't know how many of you are resolution people. Some of you might be that you uh, do resolutions, um, uh, or, or you might say a, a new start, that whatever you like to do. Uh, I think losing weight, getting in shape, more time with family, better job, all those are good things. But I wanted to give you some spiritual ideas for things for renewal that you could use, um, and encourage you to do these things. I, I encourage you that if you uh, can do it, and regardless of your past history with this, I would encourage you to begin immediately a, a systematic study of the Bible. And I'm not encouraging you necessarily to read the whole Bible. That's one wet method. But I'm encouraging you to take a few paragraphs and read them and study them and apply to your life. That's a good thing to do. I, I encourage you to read uh, the Bible and pray and have a daily time of prayer. Uh, I promise you, I assure you, it will change your life if you do it. So do that. Um, I encourage you to read. Uh, I, I'm giving, I gave my Sunday school class an advanced copy, but I've worked this weekend probably far more than I should have on a reading list of my favorite books that have inspired me over the years. And I'm going to give that to you next week. I've, I, I gave it to my Sunday school class the first draft, but then I thought of all these other things that I want to add to it. But I'm committed to only giving you the front and back of, of one piece of paper, not a volume, and uh, encourage you to read. And if you don't know what to read, here are some books that have meant a lot to me. So I'll give you that next week. I owe you that, and I'll give it to you. But I encourage you to grow spiritually. Maybe maybe you're not comfortable in sharing your faith and learn how to do it. Maybe you are not serving in a position in a ministry uh, in the church that I en- encourage you to get involved in that. And to grow and to expand your spiritual wings. So those are good things to do. If you're a parent, and I'm sure if you're a parent you do this, but if you don't do it, I encourage you to pray daily for your children. And a lot of times we say, well, we can't do anything for our kids. Yes, we can. We can pray for them every, each and every day of the week. And we can pray for them more often if we need to. So I encourage you to do that. So those are spiritual things that would help you start a good year. Let's look at John chapter 14, of chapter 1, verse 14 through 18. We're going to read the same passage we did. We're going to talk about more miracles when the word became flesh. 
The Word became flesh and took up residence among us. We observed His glory, the glory of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning Him and exclaiming, This was the one of whom I said, The one coming after me has surpassed me, because He existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace after grace from His fullness, For although the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, the one who is at the Father's side. He has revealed Him. Father, thank you for your word. Speak clearly to us today in these moments that we can serve you and love you and know more of what you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've seen these miraculous things that God has done for us by the word becoming flesh. We said last week he took up residence, tabernacled with us, lived in a tent. He pitched his tent in our neighborhood. That's literally what that means in the Greek. So when Christ came as God, he became a baby in Bethlehem. We understand The concept of that, my prayer is that when you look at a Christmas card and see the little baby in the manger, you immediately recognize that's not a baby. It it is a baby, but it's, it's, it's Christ in the flesh. That's a powerful thing. When Christ came to the flesh, he gave us the right to be adopted as sons of God if we believe in him. That's a miracle. That's the first thing, that we can be adopted into God's family, that Christ came into the world, and that if we believe in him, then we can be born in a new way, born again, as John would tell us, and we're going to talk about that in great detail later. But I have other things that I want to share with you today from this passage of Scripture. Uh, that miracle number three, God came as a baby. He came as a baby. Uh, the word became flesh, and we observed his glory. We, John, the apostles, those that served him, Observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. We see a baby in Bethlehem. John observed the glory of Christ in the ministry that he worked with. In, in the years that he walked with Jesus, he saw what Jesus was. He saw who he was. He saw, he saw him heal people. He saw him Speak right to somebody's heart. He he saw him raise the dead. He saw him feed 5,000, feed thousands of people on several occasions in the New Testament. John observed his glory. He went, he went to the mountain with the other, with three other apostles and he saw Jesus transfigured into the glory of God. He saw that. And and Peter writes about that. He he tells us about that if over over in uh, in 2 Peter. He tells us in in chapter 1 verse 16 he says uh, Peter writes he says we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, listen, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. When you loved to have been an eyewitness of his majesty. When you loved to have seen him the way John saw him. So he pours out this and he said, we saw the word. We know what that means. We observed his glory full of grace and truth. And uh, I, I think we're able to touch that just a little bit in the scriptures. 
uh, with what they did. We, we see why, why would God become flesh and blood? And, and I said last week pretty simply, and I, and I think it's true. He loved us. It shows how much he loves us. The book of Hebrews gives us a really greater insight. And it says in chapter 2 of Hebrews, list, write this down and go back and read this scripture. I, I don't have time to parse it all out and talk to you about it, but I want, I want you to see it. If, if we want to know why did the word become flesh, chapter 2, verse 14, now since the children have flesh and blood in common, since we all are flesh and blood, he also shared in these so that through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil. So one of the reasons that Christ came to earth in the flesh was that he would destroy death as we know it. Everybody, we all have a natural, natural fear of death. That's human. Before Christ came, we, we had real fear of death. It was, it was really the unknown, the uncertain. And then Paul writes, and after Christ came and rose from the dead and gave us victory over death, Paul said, we mourn, we just don't mourn the way other people mourn. We have hope. Because he took away the power of death. So that's one reason he came. And free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. Wouldn't that, isn't that terrible for the world? If, if people don't know Christ, they're held in slavery by the fear of death. Now they may not admit it. They might be tough on the outside. But deep down inside. They they don't know. They're uncertain. They're, they're in fear of it. For it is clear that he did not reach out to help angels. But to help Abraham's offspring. That the purpose of Jesus was not to come and help the angels. Therefore he had to be like his brothers in every way. So that he become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. To make propitiation for the sins of his people. So Christ came as a little baby to make a sacrifice for us. To pay a price to offer himself for our sins. That was what the word in the flesh did. And then verse 18 he says... For since he himself was tested and has suffered, he is able to help those who are tested. I I love that verse 18 because that means that we can look at Jesus and we have an example to follow when we're tested. If And you say, Jim, I don't know what you mean. If you look at Christ in the garden of Gethsemane the night before he died, he he was in such anxiety and distress that he, he, he cried blood, tears of blood. That's agony. And he prayed that God would take away the cup, the penalty that was about to follow. He prayed that he did, but when God didn't do it, he accepted it with resolve, and he went forward and did the work that God did. That's a great example for us. That's a lesson. Jesus knew his father. He understood his father. He understood what God was asking of him. He he was willing to do it. We, we sometimes have to do it the same way. We have to trust God. He teaches us how to suffer. Number two, we see grace and more grace. I've been wanting, I want to talk about this so bad last week. I, I just didn't have the time. I wanted to do this. L- listen to how the Bible says about this. Grace and more grace. This is my favorite topic. It says in verse 14 that we observe the glory, his glory, the glory is the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth, full over 
flowing, brimming over with grace and with truth. And then it says in verse 16, indeed, we all have received grace after grace, grace after grace. Paul introduces us in Romans chapter four. He says, uh, he says to the idea of grace, you know, you know what that is? The unmerited, the unearned favor, privilege of God. God gives you something and gives me something we didn't deserve. We didn't ask for. We didn't earn it. We didn't pay for it. God just gave it to us. And here's what Paul said about grace. And I want you to think about how grace multiplies. It says where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. Isn't that great church? That's what Jesus did. When he came, he brought grace after grace to us. That's what he did. Just as sin reigned in death, so also great grace will reign through righteousness. So when Jesus came into the world as a little baby, one of the great miracles is that he brought grace after grace to people that didn't deserve it. That's what he did for us. You and I, we are recipients of God's grace. It is a phenomenal, a phenomenal thing. I want, you know, Paul reminds us in, in Ephesians chapter two, verse five, he said that our salvation is by grace alone. It is not by our works. We don't earn it. We don't work for it. We don't achieve it. We don't get to the point that we get it. It's that God gives it to us plain out because Paul says in his great wisdom that if we worked for it, we would brag about it and we have nothing to brag about. God did all this for us. Grace after grace. I have a story I want to share with you. I'm going to read it because it's very well written. In the 17th century, a young boy born to a Christian home. For the first six years of his life, he heard about the gospel and its truth. And he was dearly loved by his parents. But his parents died of illness. The boy went to live with his relatives, was mistreated, abused, and ridiculed for his faith in Christ. Though still a boy, he fled and joined the Royal Navy. That was not... A high honor and privilege as it would be today. The people that could not do anything else joined the Royal Navy. And it was a rough life. He became known as a brawler there. His life went downhill. He was whipped many times for disobedience, participated in the keel hauling of some of his comrades. I won't go into that. Not good. Write it down. Go look at what they did to each other. Not a good thing. Finally, he deserted the Navy, fled to Africa, and joined a Portuguese slave trader. So his life is plummeting down. There, his life reached its lowest. At times, he actually ate off the floor on his hands and knees. He escaped and joined another slave ship as the first mate. His life was desperately depraved. He stole ship's whiskey and got so drunk that he fell overboard. He was drowning And one of his shipmates harpooned him and brought him back on the ship. As a result, he had a huge scar on his side for the rest of his life. He could not get any lower. In the midst of a great storm off the coast of Scotland, after days of pumping water, exhausted, he began to reflect on the verses he'd heard as a boy and was marvelously saved. His new life is reflected in the words of his hymn that we all know. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I was lost, I was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. John Newton came a preacher, preached the gospel. Jacob, I asked him 
very unusual thing. I asked him, I said, Jacob, could you look up what was on his epitaph? I've been trying to do that all week. Forgot about it. Wanted you to see it. One of the last things that John Newton wrote, he says, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I might be. I am not what I wish to be. But I am not what I used to be. How about that? And on his gravestone is written these words. John Newton, once an infidel and libertine servant of slaves in Africa, was saved by the rich mercy of our Lord. Preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the gospel. The faith that he had worked so hard to destroy. What a great epitaph. Saved by grace from the bottom of the pit. Simon Will, a theologian, says, It is to the prodigals that the memory of their father's house comes back. You know, there are people that they're lost so far, and they can come home because they're so down and so low and so far away that they can say, this is where home is. That's what happened to John Newton. That's grace. And not only did that grace save him, but he was pardoned and he was inspired and he preached the gospel and he wrote hymns and he wrote sermons and he filled up churches and he brought many, many people to Christ, all because of the grace of Christ. I want, I want to tell you what the implications of God's grace for you and me. And and I I just, I loved writing this. I, I, could, I could just preach the whole sermon on this, but we got to get through John eventually. You can't out the grace of God. You can't do it. There's somebody sitting here today that thinks, you know, I, I just, I just can't. You don't, you don't know what I've done. You, you don't know what I'm into. You don't know what I've thought about. You, you don't know what I've conjured up. You can't out the grace of God. Where Paul said, where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. Nobody is beyond it. If you are in sin today, if you have sinful desires, if you have sinful wants, if you have a sinful heart, then God can change that. Grace will cover it. It is a gift that God gives us. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. It is just something he does. You are eligible for grace after grace if you are alive today. I mean, it's not like God says, well, you know, I gave him enough grace. He's on his own now. It's grace after grace. I will tell you, I, I see that in my life. I've done so many things that God continues to forgive me and use me. You know, after a while, you just get tired of doing that stuff because you know God, God's going to, he, he's, he's not going to let you go. He's just not going to let you go. If, if you live to be a hundred, you're going to see more and more of God's grace. If you die a teenager, you're going to have all the grace that you need. It is entirely sufficient in your life. That's a, it is sufficient. It is enough. It's powerful. It is grace upon grace, heaped on grace. That's what it is. Martin Luther said this. The spring is inexhaustible. It is full of grace and truth from God. It never loses anything, no matter how much we draw out of it. It remains an infinite fountain of all the grace and truth. The more you draw, the more abundantly it gives of the water that springs from eternal life. That's grace. When Christ was born, when the word became flesh, he brought into this world grace after grace. 
How about that, church? Isn't that great? But that's not all. Of course, that's not all. Number three, he brought us truth. The miracle of truth. Now, listen to verse 17. For although the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You see, God had given the law to Moses. And the law was the Ten Commandments, the moral requirements of the law. He gave them ten, the Ten Commandments are still in force today. They, they have not been outdone. They are not negated. They have not been washed away. That is the truth of God. And so when Christ came into the world, He not only brought grace, He brought truth. He defined what truth is. You know, we live in a world that we don't like truth. We like to define our own truth. We like our own version of it. Dr. Al Mohler says, and I love it whenever he says it, he says our world is truthy. We like things that sound like truth, but they're not truth. We like to take things that are good sounding and change them for our own purposes. The Bible is God's word. It is his source of truth. When Christ came into the world, he brought truth. You can't have salvation without truth. Got to have both. You know, if if you don't have truth, you don't think there's anything wrong with you. If you if you're not convicted by anything, you're not aware of anything. You're you're okay, just like you are. And there are a lot of Christians or, or people that would claim themselves to be Christians that say, you know, I'm I'm a Christian, but I'm really not that bad a person. I really haven't done that much in my life. I'm pretty good. But in God's eyes, we have violated His truth. We have, we have altered it. We've changed it. We are, the Bible tells us, the truth of God tells us that we are all desperate sinners. Every one of us. That's our nature. We're born that way. Say, well, Jim, I'm a little harsh here on New Year's Day, but that's, that's where the Bible goes with it. It's the truth of God. That's what he says. That's what he is. Truth. When Christ came, he defined truth for us. Jesus said, I am the truth, the way, and the life. And listen, no one will come to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus said. He defined it. And and yet we all like to write our own version of truth. We all we all like to know it's non-negotiable. It is does not change. God's standard is his standard forever. Uh, that refers to marriage. That refers to forgiveness. That refers to our requirement to love each other. Those are all elements of the truth of God. That is truth. That is unchangeable. That's what Christ came and affirmed. Truth, listen, truth can be very uncomfortable. I'll tell you, you apply truth into my life, uh, something's got to give. There's, there's not, it's not like when you apply truth in my life, I'm all affirmed and happy. I'm usually convicted because I'm aware that I'm short. That's what truth does to us. That's the way it works. If we take our ways and we put them along the ways of the Bible, then we, we come up short. And and the truth is what leads us to Christ. We We get there and we wake up and we say, you know, I can't fix this. And that's when we have grace. So that's how the two of them work together. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that as we finish up today. And and I'll tell you another thing. One of the reasons that church people can sometimes be harsh and judgmental 
is that they have truth, but they don't realize that they're sinners too. They just don't, they miss that part. They look at other people's sin, not their own sin. But the more that we look at ourselves and are aware of ourselves and against the standard of the Bible, we realize that we desperately need God's forgiveness. We desperately need his help. We need him to change our life and to make us new people. That's truth. That's the work of truth. Grace and truth came through Christ. When, when the word came flesh, that's what happened to us. Number four, last point. We, we see what God looks like now. Listen, listen to verse 18. We've seen grace and truth. We've seen the glory of Christ. But listen to what John tells us. He says, no one has ever seen God, the one and only son, the one who is at the father's side. He has revealed him. That's really important. The people that heard this, you and I have the benefit of the New Testament, so we don't understand it in quite the vacuum that they did. But when they heard this, they read this, they had never seen God the way Jesus was. John says, if you, and these are the words of Christ, and John will, will reiterate them, we will, we will have sermons on this, but Jesus says, if you have seen the Father, you have seen me. Everything that is in me is in the Father. The people of the Old Testament, they were, they, they were terrified of God because to them God was on top of a mountain. He was behind the smoke and the fire and the thunder. And if you were disobedient, he would wipe you off the face of the earth. Now that wasn't fully God's nature because the Old Testament, we see God's mercy and we see his grace. We see his love. We see all those things. But to the people of Israel, I mean, when they saw God, they were terrified. They were terrified of God. Nobody had ever seen God. I mean, Moses just got a glimpse of his coattails. Just a glimpse of glory. Nobody's ever seen him. But here's Jesus. He comes and walks on the earth. He goes. We see Jesus. He, he goes to Cana and goes to a wedding. They come up to Jesus' mother and say, they, they ran out of wine I mean, there's God in the flesh and, and they go to him and say, we, we're out of wine. And he created the best wine that they had had the whole time. He goes to this woman in Samaria that nobody, no Jew, no, no decent person would have gone to. He sits down with her and he shares who he is and shares about her life and she accepts Jesus. And she becomes a evangelist for her whole neighborhood, for her whole community. He goes to little Zacchaeus, the wicked Pharisee, the guy that everybody hated. You know, what is the little story, A.J.? Little, little Zacchaeus climbed to the top of a sycamore tree. Don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, not today. I'm a horse. <laughs> Jesus goes to the worst guy in the whole community. And he says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to come to your house and have lunch with you. God did that. And Zacchaeus gets in there. And before Jesus can say anything, he said, Lord, I'm going to pay back the people that I've cheated 40 times. Four times more than what I cheated. I'm honest. I'm, I'm done with this stuff. I mean, Zacchaeus was confronted with truth that day. But I, I want you to know that we see Jesus who he is. And that's what John says. We see, we see exactly who he is. We see, we see how he loves us. We see how he forgives us. He goes, and I, see, I love this story. We're going to get to this in John too. He goes to the woman caught in adultery. 
They drag her out in the courtyard. They're ready to stone her. They've ripped her clothes off of her. They're humiliating her. The man that did it is probably standing in the crowd. They're not doing anything to him. They're not worried about him, but they got this woman out there. And Jesus says, okay, guys, fair enough. You got me. That's the penalty for adultery. Now, the first one of you have never sinned. Y'all throw the first rock. And they all put their rocks down and walked off. That's God. Encountered God. So, church, I want you to see that when we encounter Christ and we see who God is, we see how personal and how loving and how kind and how forgiving he is. That's a great picture. So I, I got to finish. There's, there's kind of a natural tension between grace and truth. You, you heard this. That means they're kind of pushing against each other. I thought of some observations, what we're going to do about this and how we decide. Here are some things that we think about. Truth makes us aware of sin. Grace teaches us that we can be forgiven. Truth shows us that we're sinners. Grace teaches us we can be forgiven. Truth gives us a constant guide to live by. we got to have that. Grace forgives us when we can't achieve it because we can't achieve it. I'll tell you right now, you can't achieve it. Grace, truth helps us to teach our children. And parents teach your children all the time. We, we never, we never get too old to teach our children. They never get too old to hear it. And grace lets us love them when they fail. Truth helps us to grow and serve and mentor people in the church. And boy, we need truth to do that. We need to, we need to, we need to mentor people on the Word of God. We need to mentor people by God's standards. But then grace lets us love others in the church when they fail. And accept them and to love them. I'm gonna tell you, this is the one that weighs on me. Truth wakes you up at night and shows us our sin and drives us to our knees. But grace leads us to simply ask God, for the forgiveness that's already provided. How about that? Christ exchanged heaven to come to earth. And in that he brought grace and truth. It's a free offer. You say, Jim, how long does grace last? Grace lasts as long as you live. As long as you have breath in your life and you have the ability to choose and decide, you have grace. You have the ability to come and say, I want Christ into my life. I want, I, I want forgiveness. I need forgiveness. But I've got to tell you the truth. The truth is, is that we will all one day stand before God. Because the baby in the manger will return as a conquering king. And the nations will be judged. The Bible says... That every knee will bow. There are people that, that deny Jesus, that laugh at him and scoff at him. On that day, they will bow before him. But there will be no grace. There will be truth. I want to share this with you. Dr. Harry Ironside wrote this. One of the most powerful things that I've read. He says, there are two judgments. One for believers. And one for non-believers. The believers will stand before Christ. No sin to account for. The sin has already been paid for by the judge. While Christ was Savior. There will only be rewards at that judgment. Maybe, maybe we will see the lost opportunities that we could have had. 
It is a place where we will know 30 seconds after we died how we should have lived. But the other judgment, as Dr. Ironside writes, if you live and die out of Christ, you will be raised out of Christ at the judgment of the lost. You will stand as a soul without Christ at the great white throne. There you will face the justice of God. The one who died to save you. Who would have saved you. Who sent the Holy Spirit to plead with you. To urge you to surrender to him. To know his grace. But then it will be too late. On that day it will be truth. And justice. And holiness. And righteousness. Christ is all of those things. My friends, I beg you and plead with you. If you do not know Christ, give your life to him today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Speak to us clearly as a church. Speak to us clearly as individuals. And Lord, as we get ready for the Lord's table, send us to our knees. An awareness of our sin and our failure and an awareness of the great love and grace that you forgive us with. And Lord, touch any that don't know you personally. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.